0: You see uh, another example, again, not of a mass exodus. (laughs) See everybody from this side over just bails. Before we get started tonight, I've been asked to make a little announcement, or it's a big announcement actually. Um, the, the Germany mission trip, chili cook-off, is scheduled for Saturday, November the 21st at 5 p.m. Is that right? Um, it's out at the Otts House. If you want to enter a pot of chili for apparently some pretty awesome prizes, I've not heard what they are, um, it's $10 to enter a chili, but then you get two tickets with that. So you and somebody else can eat somebody else's chili or your own if you prefer. Uh, for everybody else, it's $5 a ticket, a $25 family maximum. If you, that's if you buy the tickets in advance. And Christy McGraw and all the, all the participants in that trip have got tickets tonight ready to sell. They'll sell you as many tickets as possible. She tried to sell me the whole row a while ago. Um, no. No. If you wait until you get to the gate, it's seven dollars a person and a thirty-five dollar max. I think is that right? Family max. Okay, so um, drinks and desserts are provided. No drinks or dessert. Yeah, drinks and cornbread are provided. The dessert you buy. Okay, so I told Christy that we we, we need to plan a a pie auction sometime. That works really good. Um, so let's let. Let's continue to pitch in and help these seven students, is that right, that are going? Six students and two adults that are, that are going to Germany this summer with I Go Global, and it's, it's going to be a tremendous trip. We need to, we need to get behind them and help them with that. So let's go to the Lord of the prayers where we get started tonight. Father, again, we come before you and we thank you for your presence in this place tonight. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who will lead us into the truth of your Word. Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I don't want to speak from anything that I might have conjured up myself, but Father, I pray that you would speak through me the truth of your Word. Father, as we look into Zechariah and how you continually draw your people to yourself, for your glory, and for your kingdom work. Father, I thank you for loving us, and it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. All right, turn to the book of Zechariah. Um, If you don't know where it is, start in Matthew, back up just a couple of pages. You'll go past Malachi, and then there's um, Zechariah right before that. Uh, We talked last week a little bit of history. Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets. um, But we see an all too familiar pattern here in Zechariah that we see in all the minor prophets of God's chosen people and what always comes next? Huh? What do they do? What? Stray. Now I was looking for the, the, another S word, sin. Okay, But stray is the same thing. Okay, They stray and there's consequences for that and then God calls them back from those consequences, and there's a remnant preserved, and we see the same thing in Zechariah here. Um, but that 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 whole uh, pattern of sin being consequence, you know, consequences being in place, repentance and forgiveness—that uh, seems like an all too familiar pattern in 2015, not just for God's people in the in the history of His dealing with them. Um, at least it's an all-too-familiar pattern for me. And I think if we were honest, we would all see that in our lives. Now, last week we considered the first six chapters of Zechariah and the eight visions from God, and we saw that through these visions, God provided His plan for His people. First of all, in the, in the first vision, there was peace for all of the nations that were enemies of God's people. There was peace there before God judged them. And then in the second and third vision, was God dealing with the evil and and purging the evil from the nations of the the enemies of his people. Then in visions four and five, right in the middle, we see the visions of the Messiah and how God promised the deliverance through the Messiah. Then in, in visions six and seven, We see God purging the evil from the hearts of His people. So, and that was after them. That's taking place after the Messiah. So we see God dealing with external evil from the nations of the of the enemies of Israel, and then He deals with the evil in their lives in their own hearts. And then the eighth vision was God's peace on his people, on his called people, as a result of Christ and the purging of evil from their hearts. Tonight, we're going to look at two additional ways. Let me back up. I skipped a statement. In doing this, we see that God gave his people a second chance. It seemed like a second chance. In reality, it's not. It's all part of God's plan and part of God's design but God would draw His people back to Himself, and it felt like a second chance. And, and when that happens in our own lives, you know, when I mess up and God convicts me and He draws me back, it, it does, it feels like a second chance. But God's not surprised by any of that, okay? So in reality, it's God's continuing working in His people's lives. But in those in those eight visions, in the first six chapters of Zechariah, we see that God draws the people back to himself through his rule, his rule over all of creation and over all the nations. Tonight, we're going to look at two additional ways that God will give his people a second chance. He will draw them back to himself. The second thing we're going to look at, he's going to draw draw them back to himself through his word. Okay. In chapters 7 and 8, we're going to look at God's Word drawing His people back. And then in chapters 9 through 14, God draws His people back, gives them a second chance through His Son. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, those two things. First of all, let's turn to chapter 7 of Zechariah. And in the very first verse, we see another very real time stamp so we know exactly when this took place. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month. Okay, so last week, what year was it of Darius that that Zechariah's, the the word first came from God through Zechariah? Okay, the second year. And what month? Eighth month, okay. And let's back up to Scott's teaching of the week before, I always have to look. Okay, who is that? <laughs> who did he teach before this? Haggai? Yeah, okay. When did, when did Haggai then prophesy? You're going to have to think back three or four weeks now. What year of Darius? Huh? Second, year. Second year. What month? Six months. So there's only two months difference between the time that Haggai first spoke and when Zechariah first spoke. Now, in chapter 7, it's now two years later. Okay, So it's the fourth year of King Darius. So we know when that happens. God speaks clearly in this passage that he has a plan to draw his people back to himself. And again, God is the active agent in this. The people are not saying, you know what, we need to go back to God. No, it's God drawing the people back. He gives them a very specific direction, though. And God points out in here in chapter 7, in verses 9 through 14, that he had spoken the word before, but the people turned a deaf ear to him. In verse 9, verse, 14, uh, verse 9 through 14, chapter 7, thus says the Lord of hosts render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the father, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts as I called and they would not hear so they called and I would not hear says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known thus the land, the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. That doesn't sound real good. But then in Zechariah 8, verses 1 through 3, God reveals his love for his people. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And then again in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster, or as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. So again, what are the people supposed to be doing? to make this happen. For God to draw them back to himself, for God to draw them back to Jerusalem, what are the people supposed to be doing? Yeah, that, but other than that, nothing. Because again, God's going to be doing this. He, again, he's the active agent. But then he, he does give them direction. And Clay, you're right. There, there, there are things that they're, they're to be doing Yeah, in verse 16 through 19. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth fifth, and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Now, is the result of God drawing them back and them following God's design, is is the result of this so that the people will be happy? Did God stand there and say, I want you to be happy? Say it again. Yes. Yeah. Did he want them to live in to live in peace and prosperity? Is that part of the promise? Right, everybody do this. <laughs> to live in God's material blessings. Again, do this. To be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, those things might happen. They could. But that's not the purpose of of God doing this in His people. Look in Zechariah 8, verses 20 through 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God in his sovereignty was giving these people One more opportunity in his kingdom work to draw the nations to himself. That's the reason he chose Israel in the first place. It wasn't because they were someone special, they were not his special little snowflakes that he put together. He called them to demonstrate through them who he was in order to draw the nations to himself. And that's the purpose for God. Drawing them once again is to draw the nations. It says, Ten men from the nations of every tongue will be drawn to God. Drawing them back through His Word and for His honor and glory. Okay. That's the second part. That He draws them back through His Word. The third part we're going to look at tonight in the third section of Zechariah the second part tonight, third part overall, God gives his people a second chance. He calls them back through his son okay. in chapters 9 through 14. Now, in this, in this section, there are two oracles um, in this section of Zechariah. Chapters 9 through 11 is the first oracle. Chapters 12 through 14 are the second oracle. Both oracles begin with God's promise of his judgment on Israel's enemies. In Zechariah chapter 9 verses 1 through 8, it says, The word of the Lord is against the hand of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like mud in the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea. She shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also because of its hopes, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza Ashkelon shall be uninhabited, a mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth, and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God, it shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron will be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro, no oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes." So we see God judging the nations and he's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna cut them off. You know, the things that they've done before, they're not going to be able to do again. In Zechariah 12, this is the second oracle, beginning in verse 1. Again, we see God's power against the, the nations, the enemies of Israel. The oracle of the Lord concerning Israel thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open, When I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among the sheaves. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all of the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem." And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So again, we see in this oracle, what God's going to do to the nations that are the enemies of his people. The next point in both oracles point to the one, that's capital O, capital N, capital E. The one who would come. In the first oracle, he is referred to as the one who would be their king. Zechariah nine. 9. says rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey when did Israel get their first king what happened whose idea was it to have a king it was the people they demanded a king who was their king before that? God. <laughs> um, how many good kings did they have? I don't know. <laughs> how many bad kings did they have? Probably more than good kings. You know, Ben. You know, ben and Scott both here. Good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad. King, you know, it's it, it, that pattern. God promises them a king that is righteous and having salvation. None of the kings before that had that. This is something different. Some one different coming. And where have you heard this in another place? Or have you heard this in another place? That he is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Heard that before? Hmm? Yeah, Palm Sunday. Who rode in on the colt? Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's the good Sunday morning, Sunday school answer. Okay, Jesus. He's the one that rode in. Okay, so who's the king that he's talking about? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, that's who he's referring to. Okay, he is also referred to not only as their king, but as their Lord in Zechariah 9 verse 14. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land." So this one that's coming is also going to be known as their Lord. He's also going to be known as their shepherd. In chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Then said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each one of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king. They shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. So there we see again, he's not only king, he's not only lord, he's shepherd as well. Now moving to the second oracle. This one is referred to as the one they have pierced. Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a newborn. Where else have we seen that phrase, the one that they've pierced? Where did that take place? At the crucifixion. Okay, so again, there's another picture, there's another prophetic statement about Jesus. He's also referred to in this oracle as the shepherd. In Zechariah thirteen seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Anything in that verse sound familiar in New Testament terms? Where is the shepherd struck and his flock scattered? Hmm? Yeah, Gethsemane at the crucifixion also. When Jesus is struck down and his flock. How many disciples were there named at the crucifixion? Well, Peter was at—I mean, Peter was at the at the trial, but at the crucifixion, there was one. John, yeah, all the others are gone. And it wasn't very many days later that Peter said, "You know what? I'm going fishing." <laughs> you know, it's—they uh, just—they scattered, you know. And that's again, this is another prophetic statement from Zechariah about what's going to happen with the Messiah. Now, so far, the, the the two oracles have matched each other pretty well, step by step. However, at this point, they go a little bit different direction. At the end of the first oracle, the divine king is going to be detested by the flock, and they reject him. In Zechariah 11.8, In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. Put on your thinking caps. Where in Jesus' ministry did his flock turn and detest him? We heard that referenced not very many. It might have been this last Sunday. But it's been recent. We certainly heard it when we went through the book of John. Huh? Yeah, the revival gone bad. You know, initially, you know, they got a free meal. You know, the free lunch bunch showed up. They got fed. All kinds of things were going on. And they were all excited. And Jesus was telling them all this stuff. And then he started revealing truth to them. And not only did they just turn away from him, they started picking up rocks. So yeah, that's, that's the revival gone bad. They detested. They went from loving and following and shouting Hosanna and you know the palm leaves flying to, that actually took place later, but, but to detesting him and trying to kill him. So again, we see Another picture of a future event in the life of Jesus and his ministry as Messiah. In the second oracle, their rejection of the shepherd is much worse than just detesting. We've already seen this in in Zechariah 12.10, we read a few minutes ago, that he is pierced. Again, read 12.10 with me again. I will pour, on, pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a newborn. Not only was he pierced, but he was also struck. In thirteen seven, Zechariah thirteen seven, Awake O sword against my shepherd against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little one. That sounds pretty bad. It sounds real bad. However, it does not end on this note. The good news is still coming. In fact, at the end of the second oracle, God reveals that the shepherd king is not rejected. In fact, the prophet describes a celebration of the day of the Lord and the consummation of the kingdom. Just as we have seen in the previous two sections of Zechariah, this third section ends with the Lord reigning over all. Look in Zechariah chapter 14. I want to read this whole chapter. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. Again, who's the active agent in this battle? God is. You know, again, just like we saw in the, in the beginning of Zechariah, you know, Zechariah was told, watch and hear. Look and hear what, 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 what I'm going to do. This is God's action. He's the active agent. He's the one that's going to battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from west, from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half move southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be, will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from, from Giba to Rimen, south of Jerusalem." But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord shall strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. That's pretty graphic. That's what God says he's going to do. On that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on all the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt, And the punishment to all nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them, and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor, in the house of the Lord of the host on that day. Now, as you read this little book, and I put quotes around that little book. It's a powerful book. It's the longest of the minor prophets. We see so much revealed about Christ. There is there so much prophetic word in this little book about Jesus. In fact, this book is quoted, according to Dever, this book is quoted more than any other book of the Old Testament in the Gospel's accounts of the crucifixion. And we've already named some of the things that, that he was pierced when he was struck, his, his flock scattered. Um, I mean, we, just, we see those things over and over and over again. And according to the ESV Study Bible, the clearest prophecies about the Messiah in Zechariah are found in Ephesians 4.25. And that, that comes from Zechariah 8.16. Turn back and look at that. Zechariah 8.16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gate judgments that are true and make for peace. Okay. That's also spoken, that's spoken in Ephesians 4.25 about speaking truth. Okay. Zechariah 9.9. 9. The next column. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, in the foal of a donkey. That's found in Matthew 21.5 and that's found in John 12.15. Okay. Zechariah eleven. Verses 12 and 13. And I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. If not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, throw it, on, throw it to the potter, the, Lord, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. We see that, the 30 pieces of silver. Um, we see that in Matthew 29, 9 through 10. In Zechariah twelve ten, It's another prophetic passage. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So when they look on me on whom they have pierced, I shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. We see that specifically in John nineteen thirty-seven. Okay. There are numerous passages that we see, and we, we get a clear picture of the Messiah through Zechariah. In there's not really a time stamp on, on chapters nine through fourteen. A lot of scholars believe this is sometime after, you know, significantly later than even verses or chapters eight and or seven and eight um, in the fourth year of King Darius, but it's still, you know. It's still long before Jesus showed up and we see that. But there are also numerous allusions to the writings in Zechariah in the New Testament. Um, Dever quotes several uh, people to say that the estimate is that about 54 passages from Zechariah are echoed in about 67 different places in the New Testament. And most of those are in Revelation. So we had not got time to dig through all of those tonight, um, but I would challenge you, dig through this little book and see how God is revealing what he's going to do, not just in the lives of the people of Israel, you know, 500 years BC, but what God is doing now, what he did 2,000 years ago, what he's doing now, what he's going to do in the future. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's one. It's one of the feasts of the tabernacle. Do you? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that they didn't have homes. They had to. Thanks. One of the things that really spoke to me as I, as I read through this and worked through this is the fact that God reached way, way, way down for His people. It reminded me that God reaches way, way, way down down for me yeah, he did he reveals his plan through his rule he reveals his plan and drawing us back through his word and he reveals his plan and drawing us back through his son it's the only chance we have That's the only chance anybody in the world has is that God reaches down We've talked about this, surgically picking that person, saying, You're mine. You know, and the cool thing is, he knew that name before he spoke creation into existence. And Ben used the word this morning in our prayer time. Ben used that word, scandalous. That's the scandal aspect of the gospel, that God knows how far he has to reach down for us, and he chooses to anyway. Do I benefit from that? Yeah, but is that the reason? No, it's for God's glory. You know, it's to glorify Him, and that just, you know, and uh, I can get speechless. No, really, I can. Seriously, at times, (laughs) when when you stop and consider exactly what God has done and what God continues to do, um. And his design, and this is the part that just really blows me away, his design is to perfect us. You know, we see in Philippians 1.6 that we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. That's his design, that's his purpose, that's his plan, is to perfect us, and he continues to draw us back. I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the first and the last verse of, of the song that Corey sang that. We sang with Corey tonight. And this is where we're going to close tonight. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Which wretch is He talking about? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah. It's me. Yeah. It's all of us, every single one of us. You know, he it, it did that to make a wretch his treasure. Again, that's the scandal of the gospel. The last verse why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom. There's not thing one I can do to gain that. Not thing one any of us can do to gain that. It's through the stripes, the wounds, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And folks, that is an incredible, marvelous truth that needs to be shared. Yes, sir.
1: came up and pierced his side. In their minds, are thinking, hey, let's make sure he's dead. They don't know. It's because, the reason they did that is because it, the word was now. <laughs> Not just predicted, it, it's causative. It. Think on that a little bit and then connect to some of the
0: That is awesome, and, and you know Ben. I remember when went through when went through John and the the casting of the lots for his cloak, and, and, and Ben made the statement. You know the guy that thought. You know what? That's you know this is homespun. There's really not a seam in it. Let's don't tear it. It could be worth more as a single piece of cloth. You know, and he in his mind, he came up with that idea. No, <laughs> it was. Because it was in the Word. And that's what happened. He didn't recognize that. But we look at it and it, yeah, and it it is, we look at this and go, whoa, can I even, I mean at times it's like, can I even pick this up? Can I even pick this book up? We can. Because of who God is and because of who Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit. But, yes. Yeah. Okay. And we've, uh, the, the men's prayer, and I don't, I'm just going to say this quickly. The men's prayer time, we talked about that this morning. Of You know, some people have started sending some requests in for, for the men's prayer time of the morning. And we've seen answered prayers time after time after time after time. After time. And it's not us praying. <laughs> I mean, it's a part of it. And I don't know what part of it it is, but it's God working. He still works. You know, so... If you have something that's a need, bring it. Bring it. Because... Yeah, yeah. Because you're not bringing it to us; you're bringing it to God. You know, and that, thats what's so cool. All right. Any other word tonight? Thoughts, questions? I just had a comment. I just think that it's so
1: powerful that we see all of this on this side. You know, you just got to think about when they're hearing these prophetic words at that time. Were they confused? You know, did they really know what was being spoken? We see it on both sides. Just and I think about Christ as He was talking to His disciples. He was saying some things that was confusing. It and He said, "Well, we don't. What are you talking about? How are you? What are you speaking of?" And I kind of wonder as they heard these words coming from prophets about some very strange things that were about to happen. um, It's just a call to believe and to have faith. But I think it's really cool how we see it. We see the whole picture. And it's just—it um, should increase our faith, you know. Having hope in things we can't see is—is, uh, anyways, it's just—it's just a thought as I as I think about the people that are hearing those words back then. Um, how confused they are! But yet,
0: God taught us to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, the the advantage that you like you say we're on this side of the cross and we're on this side of the, of the receiving end of the Holy Spirit who leads us into the truth of that. Now, um, the disciples didn't get it until the Holy Spirit came. And the result of that, the coward of Passover was turned into the preacher of Pentecost in Peter and, and, and what God did through him. So we do have that advantage. So let's close with prayer and we'll, we'll get out. Father, we come before you again and thank you for revealing your word to us, for revealing, as as we just heard and, and wrapping our brains around, not just prophetic things, but causative things in your word because of who you are. Father, you're not a God of chance. You're not a God of luck. You're not a God of happenstance. You're a providential God And we know that the outcome that you have planned from the very beginning is exactly what's going to happen. Father, I pray that as a people you help us walk faithfully with you. That you help us walk in obedience. That you help us walk reaching out to those around us that are in need. That you help us walk with one another ministering to one another, supporting one another, getting in each other's stuff. Because that's what you call us to do. Father, help us be a people who are known by our love for you and our love for one another. Father, help Crosspoint be a beacon. One of many in this community. We're not the only one. We're certainly not perfect. But Father, help us be a beacon of the truth of who Jesus is. And help us live this gospel openly, with confidence, with assurance, wherever we are every day. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's at the grocery store, in a cubicle, wherever it might be. Father, help us live your truth of Jesus out loud in a very real way. Father, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the families that are represented here. I pray that you bless them in a very special way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. All right, this it.